Robert Dunn here, one of the hosts of the All Black Podcast. This podcast talks to some of the greats of the game, the characters, the players, the coaches, and hopes to give it insight into our national game. Today we talk to Steve Devine, 78 games for Auckland, 70 games for the Blues, and 10 tests for the All Blacks during the 2002 and 2003 seasons, and a man with an extremely interesting rugby journey. We talk about today, uh, as a fireman, a keen, a keen fisherman, his thoughts on rugby at the moment and the early rounds of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, we talked to Steve about growing and learning his trade in Australia and what made him the man he is across the ditch. We also look at the professional career spanning the Australian 21s, Australian 7s side, through to playing for Auckland the Blues and being All Black number 1018. Enjoy the pod, listen on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere you get your favourite podcasts. <laughs> yes boy, you've got to enjoy that. It's McKenzie, space again, gets the pass away for Kia team, welcome to the All Black Podcast, and geez, it's been another busy week in footy. All Black Sevens and Black Fern Sevens play this weekend versus Australia. If you're in Auckland, want to check it out, free entry down at Grammar Tech. Matches starting from 10 on Friday, back to Eden Park on Saturday and back to Grammar Tech on Sunday. So some pretty awesome footy to check out um, if you're in the area. All Blacks, lockdown three matches for the July Test window. July the 3rd versus Tonga at Mount Smart, which is something a bit different. July the 10th, 10th versus Fiji at Foresight Bar. And again on the 17th at FMBG Stadium in the Tron. Awesome to have those locked in. Tickets on sale from July the 3rd. And lastly, Bunnings MPC and FPC draws are out for 2021. Farah Palmer Cup kicks off on July the 16th and the MPC on the 6th of August. More details on all of that stuff at theallblacks.com. But today for the podcast, pretty pumped for this one. A good man, hell of a rugby journey. Welcome to the studio, Stevie Devine. Cheers, mate. Good to be here. Mate, what's going on? What are you up to these days? Um, I'm a fireman at the moment in Auckland. And um, uh, 10 years this year, been been kicking around as that. And uh, although I haven't been to work, I've uh, had a couple of operations on my arm slash bicep over the last few months. So I've uh, been trying to get right to get back to work. It's been a bit of a slow slow burn. Getting it. Mate, is that a rugby hangover or is that stuff you've done after 10 years in the in the service? No, I actually heard it at work, um, trying to open a uh, fire hydrant, actually, which is <laughs> pretty embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the body is getting old. Uh, it's, uh, these days, it doesn't seem to take much to get it uh, on the sore side of um, yep. of not being happy. So yeah, unfortunately. And mate, for you, do you, you keep an eye on the footy? You've been watching the first round of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. You've got a keen eye on it. Uh, I do. I, I still love watching it, and um, my it's good this year. I've got uh, my youngest boy helping uh, coach him at uh, Mags. Awesome. Uh, so they sort of missed all of last year. The kids' footy was down to yeah. to COVID, so it's it's really good to um, yeah be back into it, uh, especially the, the little fellas' um, games. It's 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 really good. I'm enjoying it. So mate, what you've got one fella? He's at Mags. He's playing footy, and you're one of the coaches. Are you specialist back coach? Are you specialist halfback distribution coach? Like, what's your role there? Uh, my role is just uh, <laughs> chip in wherever wherever <laughs> necessary. Because of my because uh, of my work commitments, it's a bit hard yep. um, to commit to every day because we are on a we're on a roster. Um, so I'm there when I can be there, and and the other boys um, look after things when I'm not there. It's 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 quite a good little uh, team at the moment. It's, I really enjoy being in. Quite good little. We have all the parents around to my house on Saturday after their first match. Awesome against Kings, who we gave a hide to, which is which was pretty good. Noted. And, and uh, 
and yeah, that was good. So we, um, yeah, good little team, and um, you know, just those good little team environments. It's whether it's uh, at the top or whether it's at the bottom, it doesn't really matter. When it's a good little environment, I, I really enjoy it. Good to see you still in the game. And is it is um, do you keep still very much a, an Auckland and Blues supporter? Being that's where you did your time as a professional player, or has the kids got a bit of influence on on who you support and what players are the are the flavour of the month in the house? Yeah, no, the boys always keep their eye on the footy and and you know who's who's hot and who's not. And um, but yeah, I'm still pretty staunch Blues and and Auckland. Um, it's hard to turn. Um, I don't know. We just had such good times back in the day playing that it's yeah, it's hard to turn away. And obviously the Blues have. You know, had their issues over the last few years, probably ten. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, it looks like they're coming out the other side, which is which is really encouraging. And uh, I've been to a couple of the Blues games, um, you know, this year and 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 last year. And you know, the the crowd and the Auckland support was uh, was pretty good to see Auckland back in behind their team again because it had been a while. And you know, that's what that's what we will hope for as as past players to see the team go well. Absolutely, and they shipped for Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. They started pretty well, didn't they? Maybe the Rebels didn't put up too much of a fight, but that second half from the Blues was pretty encouraging, and it's a short it's a short tournament, and if you're going to get big wins with bonus points, that could actually serve you really, really well. Yeah, I, I, I heard them talk all week about, you know, just being a, a bit tougher and a bit a bit angrier all week, which which I really, you know, I thought, here we go. This is what these are, because they're still quite a young team. Yep. So I was really encouraged when I heard that, and I was like, you know, this this could be could be good. And you know, clearly they they played with a bit of mongrel, and and that's what we like. And I think that's where they're well suited. I think they got to realise that they're not uh, the smallest pack going around Super Rugby. They used to be a bit of a smallest type pack, but I mean, they when they get physical, they can push over anyone. So they need to realise that. Hang on, let's. Um, start to run over the top of people instead of trying to go around them like they sort of have, I think, a little bit too much. And there's elements, that's almost Blues rugby at its finest, wasn't it? When it was at its strength, there was some big, big forwards, but uh, when those big forwards created space, they had the players in the back line to really take advantage of that. And with Hoskins Satutu, Akira Rwani, like Patrick Tupelotu when he's playing, they're big units, aren't they? And then if you feed some of the backs they got on display these days with young Caleb Clark and people like that, that's yeah. the Auckland mix, and and that's that's the strength to um, yeah let the big boys up front make make some space and and then throw it around because we in Auckland have always needed to play entertaining footy because um, that's what Auckland want. Um, we we can't get stuck down in that boring. I know I don't want to say the Crusaders that it's not boring, but they can be <laughs> clinical. I guess is the yeah. word, and and they or on the side of caution a lot more than other teams do. And I think up here that wouldn't go down so well. You know, we need to, Auckland, make it entertainment and, and make it entertaining. So, you know, that's what we certainly try to do in the past is go out and push it push it wide and find the space and, and, and have a crack. Mate, and you, do you keep a keen eye on the halfbacks? And who do you think, you know, you'd love to see um, in the black jersey or you're happy with what we've got? Because what I also do like, maybe you like this as well, is... When you were playing rugby at times, there was sometimes a bit of a trend was the bigger halfback at the time, actors, the extra Lucy, quite physical, Justin Marshall, Brian Gallagher, some of those sort of guys that you have to go hammer and tongs with. But these days, the little guys in fashion, mate, there's Aaron Smith and Brad Weber and they'll yeah, go. And you can't touch them. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, how things have turned. Um, yeah, so I was more of a passing halfback and uh, I had to be that because uh, when you've got the calibre of backs outside, Carlos and and the likes that it was get them the ball in space and um, they're going to make something happen. So um, my game was more based around passing because that's what Carlos told me to do. So that's what I sure. did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's crazy how it's done a 
full circle. I mean, you know, the the extra loose forward number nine was was in New Zealand rugby for a long time, and and now um, you know Aaron Smith's brought it back. It's yeah. it's get the ball to the outside backs with a bit more time and a bit more space, and and let the magic happen. So it's good to see. Uh, really enjoy Brad Weber's footy at the moment. I think um, he's 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 going pretty good. He'll he'll be there. Um, or obviously Aaron Smith will, will be picked. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's and then there's, a, I guess, a good opportunity for for the third string, knowing that they're probably not going to get a lot of footy. But uh, it's always good for a young fella to get in the environment and, and, and learn the what not to do's and what to do's. I guess totally. And for you, mate, do you, you know, you had a long period of time there at Auckland and the Auckland Blues and with the All Blacks, still keep in touch with a lot of lads from back in the day. Yeah, we we try and keep up. We've got a um, Blues alumni set up now that we had a bit of a golf tournament. A, uh, probably a couple of months ago, that was pretty good to catch up with um, a few of the old boys. Uh, the team was there as well, and, and uh, were playing, so it was it was pretty cool to see. I think a few of the younger boys in the team sort of like, "Hey, oh, this you can actually have fun at these things." So um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a good day. I probably had one too many beers, yep. but uh, because of, because the armor wasn't playing golf, so um, I cooked a barbie and um, was pretty close to the chili bin, so it was it was hard to keep away from trouble. 100%. I know these days you mentioned you're a fireman these days and you're looking to get yourself back to full fitness But um, for that as well. But we'll talk a little bit about this in the second part of the show as well. But, you know, transitioning out of the rugby is always a tough thing. Like being in a footy team is, you know, so often it's you're with each other um, all day, every day and on the weekend as well. And you, you can be really, really tight. Then you're out of that once rugby finishes. Was it good to get into the fire service and be in a new team, so to speak, I suppose? Um, yeah, after I finished footy, I was I was pretty unwell for a, for a couple of years. So um, with the head, so I it took me a while. Um, it's obviously pretty hard to come out of. Um, you know, all professional sports people find it difficult to transition, and it's particularly hard to do that when you're not well as well. On top of that, so I had two years where it was it was pretty tough. Um, but then I sort of got back into rugby as a as a manager. Um, I looked after the uh, Auckland team for a couple of years, but uh, was very frustrated that I still thought I was good enough to play, <laughs> and, and I wasn't able to. Yeah. And sitting on the sidelines was was you know frustrating for me. So I, I realised I needed to get out of rugby for a little bit to to try and find something else because I was just getting too frustrated watching. So. Uh, the fire service w- was a great fit. Um, I really enjoy being in a team environment, and and that's what being on the truck um, provides. Not all of the time, I'm going <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, we have slow days at work, but then um, yeah, occasionally we get that that pretty intense, pretty stressful situation yeah. that that really um, makes a team um, operate together, and a good team does it well. And some not so good teams don't do it so well, so you know that's what I really enjoy. I I, I really enjoy that sort of team aspect of um, something that you got to work under some crazy situations and environments and um, get get the job done. Do you think too your experiences from professional rugby going through injury challenges that actually served you quite well when you got put into those tough situations at the fire service? Maybe over some of your colleagues, or you could help out some of the lads with some of the things you'd already learnt and that. Um, time as a professional player yeah I, yeah hugely I mean it's with rugby it's you know you get critiqued a lot about what happens on the field but there's yep. a there's a huge part of rugby that is off the field and often gets forgotten about particularly when you're younger you, you know you're only ever worried about what happens on it so as you get a bit older and a bit wiser you realize that it is a team sport and and the better you operate off the field is is probably under pressure and stress the better you can operate on the field so 
Um, we have a pretty good crew at work, and uh, we uh, I took the boys to a rugby match, a blues match, actually. Oh, good man. Um, a couple of months ago, they played, I think they played the Chiefs uh, at Eden Park, and we had a... Um, we had a free bar, so we didn't actually watch the second half. We we stayed inside and had a few team building. had a had a team building session. It, it was good. Yeah, it was a good day. It was a good night. And also, mate, the shift work that uh, that suits your fishing habit well as well, doesn't it? It's certainly good. Sometimes having four days off a week, uh, midweek, um, the fishing ramps and boat ramps around Auckland are just chaos on a summer on a nice yep. Saturday Sunday afternoon. So to be able to uh, do that midweek is is pretty cool, and I I do enjoy that aspect very much. Awesome, mate. Good first half of the show. We're going to come back in the second half of the show, and we're going to talk a lot more about your career. No one picked it up. Unlucky for the Blues. Fayane going across the park and finding a fortuitous bounce for Heem. Heem denied earlier. Still going. Heem offloading for Sotutu. Beautiful work here from the Blues and Renata. Penalty advantage as well. They come wide. Surely they score here. And they do. And it's the captain, Robinson. Oh, what a passage of play from the Blues. Really keen to have this yarn. I've been keen to have this for a long time, actually, because even though I know you reasonably well, I actually don't know, you know, some of the stuff in real detail. How, how the hell you got here from Australia? But firstly... You did get brought up in Australia, and, and what was that, that like? Because we don't have too many people on the podcast who did their upbringing rugby apprenticeship over the ditch. Yeah, I grew up in a very small country town called Bogabri, which uh, no one has ever of heard it of. Was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just we were just a little small country town, um, and uh, yeah, just did the small country Aussie town growing up. Small school, I think I had thirty in my school. At one stage, there was a, a divine. I had a lot of cousins, uh, a divine in every year from kindy to year six in my <laughs> primary school. So uh, there was a few of us kicking about. Um, and then I was lucky enough to go to Sydney to a boarding school, yep. uh, to St. Joseph's College at Hunters Hill, uh, where I learned to play rugby. I, I'd never really seen rugby before that. I uh, played a bit of rugby league and a bit of soccer and then uh, got to Joey's and uh, was introduced to this game that there wasn't really another option. I put my name down for soccer, um, and then I never quite made it to a training. The boys were like, "What is what? Wait, what's going on?" I was like, "All right." <laughs> and then um, yeah, I kicked around uh, as a as a number twelve, a tiny, tiny midget number twelve in the sort of under thirteens and fourteens and fifteens. I think under sixteen, I played D's. So we everything over there is ranked A's, B's, yep, C's, yep. D's, and then um, and then I changed to halfback and. Yeah, made Look thirds, out. and then the next year it was our hundredth year of uh, at Joey's for rugby, and uh, played first fifteen, which was um, which was pretty cool experience. And mate, too, that was you know that's probably in the nineties, was it? Like, and that was Australian rugby at the time was probably at the height of its powers. It won the Rugby World Cup in nineteen ninety one, um, it won it again in ninety nine. You know that flowed on to the to the Lions tour. Gregan, Joe Roth, Stephen Larkham, you know John Eels. That was absolute height of their powers. Is that? Was it particularly um, popular when you were at? Because I know the the private school set up in Australia is almost well used to be the breeding ground of Australian rugby. It still is. Um, so, yeah, that was it. We we I remember the World Cup in '91. We had a, a four master was at a full boarding school, so um, we weren't. The rest of the school was allowed to get up and watch it, and we weren't because he was just cruel. <laughs> so we were listening to it on the radio in the headphones, and he was walking around, and everyone had to cover up what they were trying to do, and you know it was. Uh, uh, it was pretty cool, and you know, I g- grew up 
watching Tim Horan and Jason yeah. Little and you know they were just awesome. just amazing players and you know that's all at school that's you know was always a dream to be a um to be a wallaby at some stage and um played first 15 and you know it was a pretty epic year for us we had you know huge crowds you know 15,000 people to a yeah. schoolboy match and yeah it was it was it was pretty cool yeah no I've heard these stories about uh, private school footy in Australia and how they do get 10 15,000 people along to games and and some of the famous names that have come through the system and was it once you got into that first 15 environment is that when you're like I know you're always there to enjoy yourself and play footy with your mates as well and play for the weekend but when did you start sort of thinking, oh, I'm actually not too bad at this and maybe I could play some super rugby here in Australia or when um, representative rugby or professional rugby started becoming an option? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I finished school and um, became a Sparky apprentice and my um, so I had a year playing Colts in Sydney. That We won we won the grand final that year. I played a, a bit of first grade, a bit of second grade Colts, uh, which is under 21s in Aussie. And then uh, my next year, my, my boss, was a, he was a coach in uh, West Harbour. It's a club club in Sydney and he was fifth grade coach and he's like um why don't you come and play for West Harbour this year and I was, was like that the shoot shield that they sort yep. of got going these days yep. which is on a renaissance with the Waratahs going yep, yep. The, so that's uh, shoot shield that's shoot shield fitting footy yep. and um yeah so I played for West Harbour my second year so I was only 20 yep. but playing um open grade which is the men um most most kids that age still play Colts to their 21 and I was just running around with these uh, men um, that were beating me when they catch me, but they struggled to catch me. I found out it was a, it was a lot easier playing grown men who were a bit slower, yep. uh, particularly in uh, fifth grade is where I started out. <laughs> and then uh, and then it wasn't long before the end of the year that I sort of made my way up to, to first grade. And um, but spent a mostly um, there was a couple of Kiwis at the club um, that was pretty cool, and uh, still sort of good mates with them now. And they. Uh, um, so yeah, we all sort of kicked around, and it was funny that most of my club were Kiwis. And if we ever went away, like on a sevens trip, um, they would be doing their haka and they'd sing the Kiwi national anthem. And I was just like, "What is this?" <laughs> uh, so it's it was quite funny how it turned out that I ended up over here. So uh, my coach uh, for West Harbour was a guy called Kelvin Farrington, who played on the wing a few games for Auckland. So he was um, good mates with Joe Stanley, who was a um, player manager at that at that stage and um, Auckland were looking for a halfback because uh, Junior was going to be away with the All Blacks that was in 98 yep so yeah so I come over and played a trial match and uh, spoke to Ted on the sideline he's like yep we can come back so uh, I came back and uh, the day I landed um, <laughs> Graham Henry announced he was going to Wales as coach <laughs> and I was like, oh, I might be, I might be going home here. And I was taken to, picked up the airport, taken to the suburbs rugby training. Uh, it was a Thursday night. We had rugby training for a semi-final on the on the Saturday. Oh, straight into the mix. Straight into the mix. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> it, like a lot of things are the same, but a would lot have been of, an Aussie too, wouldn't I'll, you? Would have come with all this confidence, full of chat. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> made a few mistakes, and and they were like, oh, Ronnie Clark was there, and the Carter boys were playing. Um. And, and they were like, who is this guy? And then obviously after every good uh, club performance, there's a there's a court session. So into the court and they just rip shreds off the little Aussie <laughs> who was given a little bit back. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's and that's how it started. So initially just came over for that NPC season yep. um, for three months and then and then went home and, and then the Blues asked me to come back. And I had, had a contract. Uh, the Brumbies were yeah, interested. I was going to say, you must have, you're obviously starting to, Play pretty well in Australia, and while 
shoot shield of club rugby, it's still considered really strong club rugby. And, and if you're playing well in that competition, then you're probably um, getting noticed a little bit. So you must have been getting noticed a little bit um, in yeah, Aussie. Yeah, so I played Aussie Colts in 21s, um, and we won. Like the Aussie, the, we had actually had a really good team, like Elton Flatley and oh, wow. uh, Jason Jones-Hughes, and like the list just goes on and on. It was like a really strong team, and, and we won. That was only against Argentina and um, New Zealand back in the day, and Africa. So there's only the four teams, but oh, now, well. it's, now it's like a little World Cup. Um, so you came over here. The Blues, the Blues said come back in '99 and play play for us. And um, a, f- a funny story was uh, I was back at work and uh, Eddie Jones rings up, and uh, I knew of Eddie Jones as being the coach of the Brumbies, but that's all I knew about Eddie Jones. Yeah. And uh, he's like, mate, I'm in Sydney. I'd, I'd love to catch up and have a bit of a chat. And I was like, uh, well, I'm at work. He's like, well, whereabouts are you working? And I was like, I'm working um, just out by Sydney Uni. And um, he goes, well, is there somewhere we can meet? And I was like, well, the only place I knew, there was there was a the local pub, the boys from Sydney Uni used to drink. And I was like, there's a pub. Paramount Road, there's a pub. I'll meet you at the pub at, at 4 o'clock. And he goes, perfect, I'll see you there. So I get, um, I, get, I, get I take the work van and I jump out of the van and I, I'm looking, I'm standing on what. The problem was there was a pub on both corners. Well, there's a pub on every corner, but where I said there was a pub on both corners, so I'm standing on one side and I'm looking for Eddie Jones, who I thought, I knew he was a hooker, I knew he was, um, um, played a fair bit of footy, but all I could see was this um, sort of little Asian man standing on the other on the other corner. So I was like, well, that can't be him. So I went inside the pub and I sat down and I, I, I was like, I can't drink. I better just had a glass of water. And I, I keep looking out the window and there's, this, there's there's only one guy standing on the other corner. And I'm like, now it's embarrassing. I can't I can't go over there because obviously he's seen me anyway. I, I get up the courage to go over and I'll say, uh, Eddie. And he's like, Steve. So he <laughs> didn't know who I was and I didn't know who he was. And we had a bit of a yarn about going down and um, going to be with the Brumbies. So I, I rang up the Australian Rugby Union through my club and, Got in contact with a few of the fish heads at the top and said, you know, what are my what are my chances here? Am I best to um, sit on the bench behind George Gregan for my entire career, or um, should I go get some some experience? And they're like, you're you're better off playing in the competition than sitting on the bench. Okay. So that they basically told me um, to come to New Zealand, and so I I uh, rang the Blues and said, uh, yeah, I'm in. And then uh, Eddie Jones rang me up and abused the hell out of me, told me I was turning my back on Australian rugby. And I was like, mate, I'm just a, just a young fella trying to have a go. Just doing what I'm told. Yeah. And then uh, about a month after that, uh, Australian rugby announced that you had to be playing uh, in Australia to be eligible. Oh, okay. So he, obviously he got in a few people's heads and, and that got changed, which, which upset me a little bit because that's the only reason I was here. And then uh, New Zealand rugby rang up. And said, uh, you know, if you're keen, um, you know, sign. I had to sign a, um, a stand down waiver for three years, make myself available and stand oh. down for three years. And they said, you know, we're not going to promise you anything, but if you, you know, work hard, then then we'll see what happens. And I was like, I'll happily take that opportunity. So I signed my life away and, and then got stuck into some hard work for a few years. And here he is, mate. And, you know, back then, um, there were some greats playing for Auckland and the Auckland Blues then. You know, like you mentioned Carlos a couple of times. Um, you know, there's some absolutely fantastic players that you went through that era. As a young fella, you must have come in and thought, you know, while uh, perhaps, you know, disappointing that things may have, the door may have closed in Australia, here I am and I get to play alongside and learn from, from these characters. From Michael Jones. Yeah, you there know. you go. The Iceman. 
some people uh, talk about how good he was, but on when you just turned up to training and he'd look at you and you'd like, hey, I'll do it. Uh, like he, he was just an incredible, um, he was always the hardest and the strongest and, you know, the first person to do whatever. And that's yeah. what he wanted to be as a young fella. And then, you know, you just had to, you had to impress him, whatever, whatever you're doing, you had to impress Michael and, and, and the other boys. And I, I really like uh, the Brook boys. They were just hard, hard men, you know, they just, <laughs> And there's a little Aussie run around chirping, and they, I mean, they'd happily just wallop you at training. Yep. And they were just hard men. Like, I've never, like, they're just hard. It's hard to explain. Like, they would, yeah. like, Robin Brooks stood on me in a ruck one day at training, and I grabbed the balls on the ground, and he just stood on my chest. And I didn't, you know, it was a few studs on the chest, and he, he pushed a bit harder, and I was like, well, that doesn't really hurt. I'm going to keep hanging on to the ball. And he, Pushed a bit harder, and and, and he he was about to cave my chest in, like <laughs> without even blinking, like wasn't even water off a duck's back. He, yep. and I let the ball go because I knew that my chest was about to cave in, and you know that's <laughs> at training, and that's just you know just hard man. It's hard to explain, just. And that's what you know. Obviously, you talk a little bit about it there, but like, you know, what were the differences about coming from Australia, New Zealand? Because Australian rugby is in really good shape. There's yep. still some fantastic players these days, and and um. You know, particularly then, it was the height of their powers in terms of the quality they had, and also it seemed like they had a lot of depth as well. Um, but was it a climate difference? Was it a cultural difference? Was it you know there was was there a bit more of that uh, old school element of things? Where we'll just make sure the Australian fellow knows he's got to do his time a little bit here before he's fully integrated into the team. Or I, I think the biggest part New Zealand rugby had a, a big change, like maybe two thousand and. Like I was, in, I was with the All Blacks 2002 and 2003. I think they had a real big change around 2003, like four or five. They got some um, expert coaches, like they got a kicking coach in and they got a yeah. throwing coach and a passing coach. And all of a sudden, New Zealand were always bigger and stronger, but they were being um, outcoached, I reckon, by okay. by yeah. Aussie teams who were more technical. Like their line out, Aussie line-out back then was, you know, world-class. Back in the day, you used to actually... A lot of the great stuff you'd see, like backline moves or something a little bit innovative, might be Rod Kafer doing something at the Brumbies, or it's the Gregan flick to yeah. Owen Finnegan. It's you know perhaps through that period they led us led a lot of the innovation that was going on in footy. And you're right, perhaps we were living off our, you know, it being a big part of our culture, being hard men, being good athletically, but perhaps we weren't matching on that that innovation side of things. Yeah, and all of a sudden we got taught. Like I even know at the Blues, we went from playing footy to actually stop let's get the technique right exactly of what we're doing and you know thing we just we just you know all of a sudden our technique was the same or better than the aussies yep. and we're bigger and stronger and faster so of course we're going to be better you know our our skills our skills improve like tenfold and that particularly under ted through you know say 2007 through to 11 and then 15 like we were Yep. coached very very well uh, Micron and and those guys all of a sudden the size the strength and the power was matched with skill and people struggled to keep up who um who was driving that in Auckland at the time because you sort of got there uh into into the nine you know not at 98 99 into 2000 blues had dominated yeah the, the start of of super rugby and and but then the Crusaders were starting to come in the Brumbies were really really strong um who but you were able to get a win at the Blues in 2003, I think it was. So who, yeah. who Ted, drove that change? Ted, Ted, Ted came back. So Peter Sloan was... Sir the, Ted. Oh, Peter Sloan came back and um, he was the coach. But I just like I just remember and every change room at halftime, you know, Sloan would talk 
about whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and then everyone would look at Ted and Ted would either nod and say something or just shake his head and say something. <laughs> and everyone was like, okay. And he would just say, go and do this. And we'd go and do it. And, yeah. you know, Ted wasn't the coach, but Ted was the coach. And yeah. um, he just has uh, a, an ability to put everyone on the same page. Um, I went from 15 guys playing rugby to 15 guys doing the same thing, knowing what each other was going to do. And he's a school teacher, very, very good at delivering his message, very clear. And all of a sudden, we're all on the same page. We're the same team, 2002, um, 2003, pretty much the same team, give or take a few players. And Ted turned up and said, no, 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 this is how we're doing it. And and there it is. I think we, I think we lost one game. O three, yeah. And what for you? Like you joke a little bit about being a cheeky Aussie and and being a social guy and enjoying that side of rugby, but you actually worked pretty hard, didn't you? Like you, did you feel that was always just a part of what you did, or you particularly coming into a New Zealand environment? You know, we're always gonna um, you know not give you a chance when you come from Aussie for a start. So did you feel you had to work even a little bit harder and prove yourself to some of those? You know, I can imagine. Yeah, we joke about it, but I can imagine Zinzan Brook and Robin Brook being huge personalities and, and um, you know, a bit like Richie McCall when if he shakes his head at coloured boots, then all the Fords don't wear coloured boots, you know? Yeah, I, I found it uh, I found it difficult because, uh, particularly in Auckland, we had a lot of different cultures. We had yep. Fijians, Samoans, Tongans, uh, Kiwis. Australian. And, and, and that was it, like... The cultures were really, everyone was really accepted of the cultures and that's fine and that's fine except the Aussie, you're an Aussie, you're not doing that, shut up, we don't do it Aussie way, you know, it was, everyone accepted the cultures except the Australians, it was piss off, we want nothing to do with it, which was like, oh, so I was always, I was always the bloody Aussie, you know, and it's like, well, you don't call him a bloody Fijian, but because I'm an Aussie, it was acceptable that you're allowed to mock and punch and do whatever. So I had to be, yeah, I, I felt I had to be tough. I was little. Um, yep. I probably should have been a jockey, not a rugby player. Yep. And I felt that um, I'd never, I never wanted to let a team down. And if someone was running over the top of me or, you know, physically dominating me, then that was a sign of weakness for me. And I, I, I sort of tried to um, not let that happen. I never wanted to be the weakest link in the team. And, yep. So I had to work pretty hard. I was I was unable to lift anything in the gym <laughs> when I turned up here. Like I was, it was embarrassing what I could lift. Yep. And I'd never done weights in Aussie just because it wasn't that you important. Did. You just played rugby, and um, all of a sudden it was. It was on. Guys throwing weights around like like cars, and I'm just like <laughs> I can't even lift a bench. You know, <laughs> like I literally just had the bar doing some of my strength tests and. It was embarrassing. So it was it was head down and, and bum up for for quite a few years to try and figure everything out. But you you also, which was really fortunate, is that period of Super Rugby was good times, wasn't it? Like there was it was really well supported, big crowds. It was at a time when obviously some strong New Zealand teams, and you're on one of the stronger ones. Australian teams were really really strong. That's when the Brumbies in particular were going through a really strong period. Um, but the other teams were strong as well, and the South African teams. Um, were phenomenally strong. Like you, you know, I mean, you were talking before on air about going down to Carisbrook um, during O week, and the the, yeah. the stadiums were chockers. Well, even MPC back then, like forty thousand on a Saturday or a Sunday over at Eden Park was pretty standard. You know, just for MPC match because um, people just love there'd be you know half a dozen All Blacks on the field at any yep. MPC match, and it was just 
you know, it was it was really well supported. And then I think Super Rugby sort of things got a bit stale there through the middle, and it was the, the sort of same thing week in and week out. And obviously in Auckland, if if the team's not doing so successful, then um, you, your numbers tend to drop pretty quickly. So yeah, um, you know, New Zealand rugby is just it is it's a religion. Like I I think if I compare it to Aussie, what Aussie rugby have to fight through to get recognition over there, particularly even in the golden years with Gregan and Larkham and stuff, you know, they, they were still struggling to make page, you know, yeah. third page back from the back page of sport, you know, news. So um, they've always, but here it's just, it's just, it is a religion, eh? Like it's, it's crazy how many people are into rugby, which is a good thing, but it is also a bad thing because everyone has an opinion and, and yep. you're always wrong or, or they're always right, you know, type thing. With the All Blacks, sometimes it was good to get overseas, so you, yep. that pressure would not be on you. You you could walk down the street and yep. get something from the dairy without, yep. um, which is a good thing that everyone's involved, but, it, yeah, at the same time it can be it can be 24-7, which was good to get away from. Tell us a little bit about that because, you know, if you're just keeping it on the sports pages, you, you'll often see a few articles in the last year or two about some of the challenges that Australian rugby are going through at the moment. You know, do you you perhaps came up at a time when uh, it still was pretty popular, it certainly was doing well at the at the top level and perhaps that flowed down, but, you know, the point you made before, you know, I've been to Melbourne numerous times um, and to get, well, firstly, to get to the storm, the, the local league team, it's about page 12, to get to the Rebels, I don't even think they're in there, you know, like it is the first 10 or 12 pages are the 70,000 uh, AFL teams that are based out of Melbourne. Um, talk us a little bit about how challenging that is for rugby to get cut through because while it's a big old country and you've got some great athletes over there, there's hot competition as well from the other the other codes. Yeah, I know Aussie rules, they're pretty ruthless with the way they uh, market themselves. Like I, I know in Sydney and friends, good mates, um, boys who, you know, they want to play rugby, we all grew up playing rugby together, but like Aussie rules will come in and they'll go to the council and say, we'll take this field that is a dust bowl in the summer and a mud heap in the winter where the rugby's played and we will artificially turf it. So it's a perfect ground. We'll put a big white fence around it. But the only rule is it has to be, the Aussie rules post stay up uh, 12 months of the year. All right, they don't come down. And the council, of course, you know, that's 20 million bucks. We'll pay for it. Done. And then all of a sudden the kids are like, um, well, I can play in the mud down here, uh, rugby, or I can play up there where it's a beautiful field and I never get muddy and I can run around uh, whether it's raining or whether it's dry in the summer and play Aussie rules. So th- they've pretty much turned even the kids now. And like, yeah, the kids at the schools and the, the clubs. Uh, even just, at summer, you know, like yeah. some of those Sydney schools like Joey's and Newington and some of those big schools, even they're starting to see some changes as well, well they're around. St- they're starting to have Aussie rules. Is that right? Yeah. And it's it's just. It's pretty unheard of, isn't it, to have it, Aussie rules in Sydney schools was, you wouldn't have thought of that yeah, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Not a chance. And, 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 and the clubs, like there's, there's, there's clubs now in um, Sydney with Aussie rules and it's just like there was, it was league or it was rugby yep. and, um, or soccer. And just because they've taken over the the fields and they're nice, um, that they they're getting huge numbers and yeah. it, you know and it's draining and it's it's starting at the bottom. If the kids are not playing rugby in those junior years, that they're probably not going to play it in the senior years. So yeah. it it is, it is a concern. Yeah. And um, you know, I think Aussie rugby sort of lost their way the last few years. They've they've struggled and. Um, yeah, it's hard for them. I know they're fighting. They're fighting to, to get things going again. The, the Shoot Shield competition in Sydney is still pretty popular. Yep. And uh, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between that competition. You can play well and that competition doesn't necessarily mean you make the 
Waratahs team. So there's a real disconnect between the Waratahs and yep. and then there are all sorts of politics going on. I know that for sure. Oh, no, I mean, certainly on this side of the Tasman, we want to see them as strong as possible because I used to love those games between the Blues and the Brumbies or the Crusaders and the Brumbies. The Crusaders final against the Brumbies where they won 20 points to 19 with about 1% of the ball. You know, those yeah. are those are great memories. So I'd love to see a bit of that in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman as well. Lastly, mate, um, before we turn on to some of the All Black stuff, players that really stick out from you, uh, there's a couple I want to ask about, but I'll let you go first. Guys that you played with, um, you know, that you, you talked about, um, Sir Michael a little bit and, and the hardness of the Brook brothers um, other players that stood out during that time you know that were special players um, Carlos was pretty big for my career yeah. um, I, I don't think I would have been an All Black if, if he wasn't at number 10 for Auckland for, for those years why is that just because he, he ran a good cutter for just because he ran he ran he, he well he, he was a, a talented very talented man eh? and yeah. um, and uh, I remember early on um we were playing together, and there was uh, we, we had numbers down down a short side, and I grabbed the ball and took off from the back of the ruck and sort of got nabbed, just you know. And uh, he came to me and said, "Just give me the ball," and, and <laughs> just, he's like, "Just give me the ball. I don't want you to run. Just give me the ball." And uh, so the same thing happened, you know, five five minutes later or so in the game, and and I, oh, I was going to run, but I <laughs> gave him the ball and step, jink, around, try. And it was just, it was pretty, pretty easy learning curve. It was like, all right, get him the ball. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's a special player, but you know, he's backed up by a, a lot of, a lot of stars outside as well. Dougie and Mills. Rock of Joe Mills. Rocks. Um, Play with Rupini? I did. I Mate, did. how good's his YouTube highlights clip? God, I love um, watching that. He, yeah, he was a, he, uh, I shouldn't probably say this, uh, <laughs> typical Fijian, he would only ever run as fast as the person behind him <laughs> was chasing him. Like, who knows how fast he could have been. Yeah. But uh, whoever was chasing him, like, he'd always just get away. But yeah. they'd never catch him. But power, speed off the mark. Like, he'd go from standing standing start to flat out in four steps. And it's just incredible. And Joy Levendilly was another one. Like he, yeah, he's amazing. Giant man that they just shouldn't run that fast. Like he was just so fast, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, there was a sort of a two or three year window, wasn't it, where Rupini, whether it was Northland, whether it was Auckland, whether it was Fiji in the World Cup, just did things, amazing, yep. amazing things. And it's sad we didn't see more of him, but yep. at least you got to play alongside him and see, you know, what the man could do. Just no, there's just no substitute for gas. Eh? when oh. you've got that top end speed. I mean, you look at the greats, Cullen, Lomu. Yeah. They've just got Chief that. Wilson, yeah. They've just got that express gas, and and you know he had it. He had well, who knows how much he had because he never, unless <laughs> up the fat man's track, Stevie up in the middle was it trying to grab one, Wait, but he hit, just finish off. Give him the ball and support. That yeah. was as simple as that. Hundred percent, mate. But you did become an All Black, which is pretty exciting for a young fella growing up in Australia. And um, once you took a few punches from uh, some of the Kiwi lads. You did come in all black. How did it come about, mate? Talk us about. Talk us through. Did you think you're in the mix? You know, how did you? How did you find out? Um, I, I still remember exactly. We just won um, the 2002 MPC, and we played uh, Waikato down there, and uh, we bust back. And the next day, we had a few beers out at Waiheke. We went out to a uh, farm um, owned. Um, and we were on the beach. They set up a marquee down the beach. And because we were down on the beach, there was no TV. We just someone uh, ran a lead, extension lead from the house down oh. to the beach. We had a marquee. We were having a few, well, we were still having beers from, from the night before. Big day. And they had the radio on. And we turned up the radio. And um, I 
I remember I was standing next to Dan Braid and his name got read out and I was just I just I was so excited for Dan Braid and then um two or three names later my name got read out and I I I I tell you what it's a pretty sobering pretty sobering experience I went from didn't think it was coming or nah, didn't see it coming at all. all um you know 2000 I was struggling for a, a contract with the Blues at that stage um there was a few halfbacks around and and uh, yes, I, I I didn't I didn't see it really coming at all, and um, yeah, pretty pretty remarkable. Um, I can still big Sunday turn into a big Monday. Turn into like oh my god, let's <laughs> get home and get sorted because uh, yeah, it's going to be a big Monday. It was it was an incredible experience. I, I rang uh, mum and dad, yeah, and they 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 were pretty blown away. They couldn't believe it either. Yep. So the uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, the whole town really. Bogabroy was um, pretty excited by it. Yeah, awesome, and there's uh, yeah, surely uh, Bogabroy's first All Black for sure. Definitely, <laughs> definitely the first All Black um, and last, I'd suspect. We're uh, we're pretty famous. Little um, Northwest New South Wales, pretty famous for producing um, yep. uh, some sports athletes in a, in an Aussie. And there's uh, the next town up the road's called Narrabri, and they've got a little. Um, sports award wall down by a park. I haven't seen it, but mum awesome. and dad have been there quite a few times and I've, I've got my name all up on the wall, so it's pretty cool. Mate, happy days. Yeah, you know you've made it. <laughs> and, but you actually, geez, you, you you walked into the fire really because um, I'm not sure if you started off the bench, but your first test match was against England yeah. at Twickenham on the end of year tour and that was absolutely England at the height of their powers. That was Johnny Wilkinson, Martin Johnson, Lawrence Delalio. You know that was that was their time. Um, you know how how was that? You know, firstly getting the knowing that you're going to be involved in that test match, and that's what is that eighty thousand capacity there yeah. for your first test? That's oh, pretty cool. That was pretty epic. Uh, I remember getting off the plane in Heathrow, and uh, the management, like I said, they're all having a, a bit of a a conference. And uh, I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Anyway, they, they called me over and they're like, Did you, have, have you played sevens for Australia? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, and I was like, oh, no, it was it's it's um, it was before the announcement. So I played before you weren't allowed to play. So right. they made that rule re- respective. And I said, I've been through, it's all sorted. Um, NZR, you know about it, everyone knows about it. And I've been given the okay. So And they're yep. like, oh, okay. Who was that, John Mitchell at the that time? That was John Mitchell and Robbie Deans. And yep. Thorpey was the manager. And they were in a pretty heated Discussion. Obviously, the phones had uh, been going off while we we're on the plane, and then um, that week leading into the test, um, I was like, uh, I was thinking, mate, I might have a, I might be in a shot to start here because they put off the naming of the team. Yep. Um, so it was Thursday, and there was a big, um, there was a big meeting with the IRB and lawyers, and um, over your eligibility, over my eligibility oh, wow. on, on the Thursday, and Stevie Devinegate. I was getting, I was getting phone calls, and they're like they're asking me stuff, and I'm like. Mate, I was stressed. I'm like, I'm a, I've done all this work and I've finally got here and you, you're going to let me crumble. And I think, you know, um, they gave they gave it the okay, okay which was which, which was the, the good thing, luckily, you know. And um, and then I got then I got named to start and I was like, holy hell, here we go. We are on. Here we go. And uh, and yeah, there was a, there's a lot of things that go through through your mind. Um, wasn't so much nervous about the crowd or or the game or who we were playing, but more um, making sure being an Aussie that I didn't mess the harker up was was pretty important. Um, that was pretty nerve wracking, and and then the game. I mean, it was fast. Um, I made a I made a good break early. Um, um, got a couple of good passes. Um, 
out, uh, said, join up for a try. Nice. Not bad for a young fellow who a few years earlier was, you know, in New South Wales country, just doing his thing and kicking around with his mates. It's yeah. pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And there's, um, on the hacker side of things, because I know uh, for a lot of people that is, there's a little bit of anxiety around doing that for the first time. Was it a few sessions in the bathroom there with no one looking just to make sure the actions were right and that your pukana was on point? And, you know? I was probably pretty lucky that uh, it was just in the time of uh, downloading stuff. So <laughs> I downloaded the Kiwi National Anthem and the haka onto a disc. Yep. And then I was at the duty-free shop heading out. I needed to buy a discman. I know that a lot of people probably don't know what a discman was, but it played CDs. Yeah. And uh, Jonah walked past. He goes, mate, what are you doing? And he's like, I've got to buy a discman. I need, I need to listen to some music. And he's like, oh, no, I don't buy one. I have, have this one. And I was like, no, no, I'll just buy one because I'm going to need it. And he's like, no, 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 have my, have my one. Yeah. So Jonah gave me his discman for the, for the plane trip that I listened to repeat anthem, <laughs> repeat haka yeah. on. And, um, yeah, and then when I got there, I took I took the walk went back to Jonah. I was like, "Here, mate, I've um, finished using this. I'm good." He's like, "Nah, mate, hang on to it. I, I've got I've got heaps. Just hang on to it." Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was a legend. Eh? He would have going to say, "Good man." Oh, one of the best. Eh? He yeah. as as a young fella, like just absolute superstar. I, yeah. I was blown away over in Europe. Like people in New Zealand didn't even know who Biggie was. Yeah. Like over there, we were wherever we went. It was Jonah. Like there was thousands of thousands of people would. Gather around he's him. massive in France. Oh. I mean, he's massive everywhere, but like they love their footy in France, couldn't. and like Jonah is the first global just, rugby superstar. Like we could go anywhere as a team, and there'd be people like, oh, that you know, that's a team, could be someone. But if Jonah was there, there, there would be a thousand people in a circle around him. Like he he was super superstar. Like we don't get that here in New Zealand. Like yeah. it was, it blew my mind just how popular he was. He was yeah. Very sad. Would have been forty six a couple of weeks ago, and and um, you know, it all it's all revered these days that he wasn't even running on hundred percent. Imagine if you're running yeah. on hundred percent, how good uh, that man could have been. Yeah, remarkable, great Already man, good. mate. In the the next year, two thousand three World Cup year, so it's always a big year for anyone in their professional footy career. And you know, talk a little bit about that season because the one thing um, you had a bunch of sort of newer players introduced to the team that John Mitchell had introduced on that tour that you went on, and Geez, you played some good rugby through that season in the lead up um, to. I know you dropped the game against the Poms at home, with um, which showed where they were at. They were obviously yeah. a bloody good team at that time, but then went through uh, the Tri Nations as it was at the time, and not just won the tournament, but played some really really good footy. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough. I started against the Africans. We we had the, we had England and Wales here. Yeah, um, I think was it dropped the game to England fifteen thirteen. They yeah, were down to thirteen at one stage. Every Englishman I ever see loves to tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, so that was in that was in Wellington. Yeah. Uh, I came off the bench that game. Um, Justin Marshall hamstring injury. Um, finished the game. Obviously disappointing. And then I think the next week we had Cardiff in Hamilton. And, Steve uh, Hansen was coach of Wales at the time. Yeah, and that was Dan Carter's first test I seen the other day. I seen <laughs> some highlights. <laughs> anyway, um, and we we yeah beat them pretty well. And then um, with the injury, I was lucky enough to start um, in Africa um, against the Africans, which was again pretty pretty phenomenal. And uh, yeah. we put fifty on them yeah. over there. So we were playing we were playing some good some pretty good footy, and uh, we scored some pretty long range tries that day. And then we came back to Sydney. And um, I'm like, I'm a chance. Yeah, I've just put fifty on the Springboks at home. I'm, I'm a, on here. I'm a chance to to get a crack against the Aussies at home, which would have been pretty cool. And yeah. um, 
the coaches used to go around. They we'd have a team meeting on the Thursday or the last Friday, and then uh, before that meeting, they'd um, grab any players that weren't in the team and let them know that they yep. weren't or on the bench or not in the squad. So you used to hide, keep away. <laughs> if you if you got a knock on the door, you know what was coming. So we used to try and keep away from the coaches and avoid eye contact and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I got I got the tap on the shoulder and said, um, oh, yeah, "Justin's good to go, so you'll be on the bench." And I was like, "Well, that's not that's not so bad. I'm, yeah. I'm there there or thereabouts." So um, yeah, in that game we put fifty on the Mate. on the Wallabies. Rocco was on fire, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and I got onto young the Richie McCaw, and you had some Aaron Major was playing some of the best rugby you ever played, and Carlos probably was playing his best international rugby you ever played. Like the team was really on fire, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, 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 Doug Howlett. Yeah. Great man. Um, got cramp in the last ten minutes, and I was the only back reserve left. So uh, I got the call. <laughs> you're on. You're on the wing. And the last thing I heard, I so the manager had the earpiece, and he, he stopped me, and he goes, "He's getting a message in his ears, and he's listening." And then he grabbed me and looks at me, and goes, "No one runs down the right hand side." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, I got you." So out onto the wing um, for Dougie, and um, I still remember it uh, in the team meeting before we got on the bus to go to the game. The um, thing was keep the ball alive like okay. don't go into touch just recycle build phases play phases and we'll end up scoring against these guys so so the ball will probably uh, 10 minutes out from the try line the ball comes out to me on the wing i get a cutout pass and wendell sailor in front of me and i reckon if i had to go on the outside i reckon i would have got him got him but I, I had that voice in my head step back inside um keep and the you're ball a alive. team man steve you i'm know. a team man so i step back inside and I'll regret it. <laughs> we already had, we're up by 40. I've regretted it every day since. I should have had a crack. Uh, but we scored um, two phases off that. So I, I like to think that I played a part in the try, but I should have had a crack. Mate, that would be a good highlights package oh, to take. It? Wendell yeah. Sailor on the outside. Yeah, they I would reckon I would have had too. Mate, mate, how good. But how good to play against Australia in Sydney, was it? Uh, that, that, was in, that was in Sydney. That was yep. in Sydney. Family there or friends, uh, family, oh, people heaps from... Of, heaps of friends and family yep. were there. It was pretty cool. A few cool. people uh, hitting you up for tickets in the lead-up. And then, uh, and then of course, later in the year we had the, the World Cup. That was yep. the lead-up to the World Cup, which I found difficult because we were in Melbourne for, for most of it. Oh, and really? So the, we stayed in Melbourne and then we'd travel to... Uh, we had a, one game in Sydney and we had a game in Brisbane and we'd just travel up and back. And then we moved moved up on um, for the semi-final. But I don't know, it was... Melbourne wasn't really rugby and it wasn't yeah. into rugby. So we were, it's we were, no, nah, we didn't get that buzz down there. And I, I hated it more than most because all my mates and all my family yeah. were in Sydney and Sydney was partying and Sydney yeah. was, was yeah. energetic and it was the rugby town and it was up for it. And I was stuck in Melbourne. I couldn't see them and couldn't enjoy that. So it was, it was harder for me. I, I think the other boys probably enjoyed it a bit more being out of the limelight or not yeah, so much. Right out of the buzz and just being able to chill out a bit more. But I was, yeah, pretty desperate to, to, to see family and friends and particularly, um, you know, being to school in Sydney was I had a, a yeah. lot of family and friends that I'd spent a, a lot of years away from. So it would have been good to have a month there, but uh, not to be. And, yeah, um, yeah unfortunately, we um, I didn't get named uh, for that semi-final. Um, but, yeah, yeah um, hugely disappointed. I mean, that... that that dressing shed after that semi-final in Sydney was 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 um, was was misery. If you could take a photo of it, it, yeah, would, it yeah. was it was pretty tough. There's um, you know, touch on that a little bit. You know, there's been all sorts of you know autopsies done on on World, All Blacks when they drop out of World Cups. You know, perhaps at times I've heard people say about that tournament that 
we didn't prepare enough for the big event. Um, I heard people say that we played too loose, you know, too fast and loose. But then when I actually look back at some of the highlights from that time, particularly the the return test that you played Australia and um, it was a much closer game. Yeah. But the one thing I really noticed about it, and I've talked to other players who were involved in the match on the podcast about it, it was a really physical game as well. It wasn't just chucking it round. It wasn't just get the ball to Rockefoco and Mills and, and expect to score a try and Spencer's, you know, trying to score a try off, off every phase. When I watched that game, it was a it was a huge contest. This the scrum, the line out, the breakdown was true test rugby in that particular game. So I wonder if we look back on that, you know, with just we just remember going out in the semi final and, and we stick a line through it and, and don't reflect actually on you know, the team was actually humming along pretty well and, and perhaps the tournament was won by the right team in the end. I think England, you know, that was their time through that period. They did phenomenally well, but it was actually a pretty good side and unfortunately John Mitchell uh, was through a period where if you lost the World Cup, that was yeah. probably the end of your tenure. I, mate, I think just in that one game, um, like we won the Bledisloe back in, in Auckland at Eden Park. Yep. And so we For were the first time in ages. For a long eight. time, yep. And yep. we were on a bit of a roll. Yep. And... We went through, we beat the Africa in the quarterfinal. It was tight, but, you know, we're never really threatened. Yeah. And then um, I think for the first game in a long time, the Aussies physically uh, and the forward pack just didn't go forward. Like, we just didn't quite get that forward ball that we had for the last year. Yeah. So, yeah, those, you know, those tight situations they just were on top of us a little bit that one game they were just they were just up a little bit a little bit more hungry than we were unfortunately a little one percenters and I, I still think if we got England in that final you're a chance uh, I reckon I reckon we'll chance because of what had happened in um oh two up yep. there and also in Wellington in oh three I, I think I think we just would have been yep. that little bit more hungry where they they might have had that mind well we've beat these guys twice in the last two times we yep. So I, I think I think we would have been a chance to win that if we got there, but unfortunately, yeah, on the night, um, it's without a doubt Aussie were the better team. Oh, mate, and like this, you know, talking to people like yourself who have been lucky enough to play in these types of matches and tournaments on the night is a big thing. You've only got to look yep. at the last World Cup when England were absolutely immense against yep. us in the semi-final. Haven't haven't produced it even close since. And they not only seven days. Later, they weren't as good. They they probably haven't been as good since that game, have they? So, it's amazing. You know, effectively a very similar group of players. Um, you know, similar coaching teams, but um, being able to back up, being able to stay at a consistently high standard is actually a real challenge in professional sport. Yep, and it's the difference. Sometimes is is not a lot, and yeah. um, the performance can be so varied, and and that's what that's why the World Cup now is such a Good spectacle because there is legit, you know, th- those last four teams yeah. uh, in those semifinals. Anyone's going to win the World Cup. It's uh, on, those isn't four it? Teams. And even the quarterfinals now, you get you get yep. the odd like we played Ireland in the last quarterfinal. I mean that yeah, that was a blowout, but that yeah. could have been good side. You know that they that should have been the World Cup final that quarterfinal. You yep. know, a lot of people would have predicted that to be the to be the final. Hundred percent. And mate, you touched on a little bit earlier, but um, you know, you boxed on for quite a few years after that two thousand three World Cup, but and then, unfortunately, you had to hang the boots up, not on your terms. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was hard. Um, you know, you see guys now like um, like Richie. Um, there's a few. Not not every athlete gets it where they yep. win their last game and they hold a trophy like that. That is yep. the fairy tale. And uh, it was it was hard. Um, not going 
uh, not been able to finish the way you wanted to and, and say goodbye the way you want to. So, yeah, yeah I took a, a hit to the head and, and yeah, it sort of took me a few years to recover. And, um, um, yeah, it was, it was, it's hard. It's hard being part of a team for so long and then, you know, your whole life is evolved around being ready for Saturday. Yep. And uh, you may get an injury, you know, you may play well, you may play poorly, but you're ready for next Saturday. And that, and that's your life as a professional athlete is being yep. in the best shape as you can for, for Saturday. And, um, yeah, wake up Monday morning not feeling so good and, and the team rolls on because they've got to get ready for Saturday and you're stuck in a bit of a hole. And um, it, was, it was a tough, it was a tough, well, it ended up being two years, but yep. um, it was certainly a tough um, first sort of, uh, eight nine months where I was, I had some pretty serious migraines, um, yep. pretty much daily. Uh, we go to bed with them and wake up with them, which was, um, you know, tough to deal with. With a had a small family, a young yep. couple of young kids, and yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. It was it was, it was some tough yakka. And you'd be, um, you know, obviously, and I've heard you speak about this before because, rightly or wrongly, and people perhaps who who haven't been involved in that type of sport don't understand, but. You'll do anything to put yourself back out there, you know, won't you? Like, that's just the psyche. That's just the way it is for whatever reason. You'll do anything to get yourself back out on the field and you're prepared to to carry, you know, things like that um, onto the field to get back out with your mates, to get back out and compete. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's been the, probably the the reason why I got to the point I was is because of competing was was what I really, yeah. what you just love doing. It's made So, you know, you compete for Saturday and, and there were warning signs that I should have taken a bit earlier, but I didn't and um, because I wanted to compete. And, you know, it's a different game today. Um, you know, doctors come on and yeah. make you go off. But back then it was, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? And it's like, I don't even want to answer. Just leave Four me alone. Four and a half yet. Where you <laughs> go, mate. Yeah. What, and, or what day is it? And it's like, well, I know it's a Saturday or a Friday night <laughs> and it's a daytime, so I'm picking Saturday. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, you can. And, I mean, that's how it was. It wasn't. Yep. doctors trying to flaunt rules or anything. It was just, that was what you got up and if you could stand up, you got up and ran on and, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not do it again. Yeah. Um, as hard as things got and, you know, they were pretty hard and it was pretty low. Um, I'd still love to have another crack, eh? Like I would <laughs> just love to throw yeah. the boots on and just have one more time. And now though, you're an older, wiser man, uh, Steve, you've you've got to be pretty stoked though to see the type of protocols that are in place now, not just at professional level where you talk about HIAs and getting to the sideline and we've all got baseline information to work off so we can tell whether Steve does know a Saturday from a Sunday, but also what we're doing at junior level as well, which you're involved in, so am I. You know, we're really, really strict on on high tackle protocols and, and concussion protocols. And like to be honest, mate, yourself and others are actually a bit of a catalyst for some of that stuff and that's you know, while you weren't able to continue to compete and do the thing you absolutely loved, you know, part of your legacy is actually to better look after our rugby community. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we're definitely doing it better. Um, things can always be better, yep. but um, it's been a big change, particularly, like, for me, I, I was never really worried about the professional athlete because there's a doctor uh, yep. in both teams and there's one in the stand and, you know, they get the best care imaginable, but it was the, the weekend warrior. There yep. is no doctor. Yep. Um, he was playing on and, a school kid, um, there's no doctor, and he was playing on. And who's he yep. to say? You know, the coaches, coaches even at schoolboy level need need to get victories, or you know, they yeah, don't have yeah, a job totally. as well. Yep. So yep. there's there's pressure on people, and you know, everyone wants to do their best. So um, it, it's good to see now that 
um, you know, there are, and you have to start with the TV games. If you if yep. you don't do it in the TV games, it's not going to be done in the club rugby. So, yep. um, you know, if there is any issue, we've got a kid who took a bit of a head knock a couple of weeks ago and a few stitches in the head and um, he hasn't played since and that's just the way it is now. Yep. He has three weeks on the sideline and, yep. and, you know, that may not, he may be good to play, but he may not be, and, yep. and that's just, mate, you just take it easy, and you're a kid, and you're going to have plenty of time to play footy. It's a, we're the same way that he got not last week with our young kids, and because and we've set down the criteria at the start of the start of the year, the kid and the parents know what the score is, and, and they've had to have a couple of weeks off, and they're fine. They still come along, and they, they support their mates, and they enjoy it, and because I've heard you say before as well, um, you know, while there's some challenges in the game, we're doing really well with them. Nothing really beats being a part of a team, does it, as a young fella? No, you, you get more out of a... Like, people say, well, you know, why would you let your son play rugby? It's like, well, you get more out of a team sport um, than an injury. Like, if, if, if the injury is the only thing you're scared of, the only reason you're going to let your child be involved in a team sport, and it may not be rugby. It's just, like, there's so more beneficial things for them, like being involved in a team, working for their mates, doing stuff they don't want to do. Yeah. Um, challenging fear like uh, playing rugby half of it is fear like you making yeah. a tackle it's it's not it's just the fear and teaching a kid to overcome a fear is, is pretty cool and uh they get that out of our game and and it's pretty cool to see and it's um you know having coached kids they may not be able to make a tackle and then maybe by the end of the season they're making a few it's it's a pretty cool watching kids grow and develop and you know, as coaches, that's what we've got to get out of the game, not so much winning and losing because it's not yeah. really that important to the kids, but watching them grow and watching them um, pass and catch and get better and increase their skills and, and get into the game is is so much more uh, for a kid than than the chance of maybe getting an injury and I shouldn't play because I might get hurt. Is, yeah. is You know, I don't think that's how we should be living our lives. Oh, totally. I 100% agree. And, mate, it's good to see you um, involved in the rugby community, helping with your son. You might make chances. You might get them uh, get down to, to Mount Smart. First time, I think there's been an all-black test there. Quite cool, like, to take a yeah. rugby test to, you know, where so many of the Pacifica community is. If you only got to look at some of the other matches that have been there over the past years to see the support um, that the Tonga community give. Jeez, the World Cup, they just they absolutely lit up Auckland for the Tonga-Auckland game and hopefully... We'll see similar scenes. Yeah, no, it'll be pretty cool. Um, they're passionate people, uh, yeah. and you can't um, deny them that. So it'll be pretty cool if they can get in there, in their throves, and um, especially for the local communities around the area, like um, Mount Roskill, um, where I live. You know, the, the, the lot of Tongans living in around the community, and the yeah. red flags will go up, I have no doubt, and yeah. the cars will be decked out, and, and the horns will be hooting, and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Mate, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I was going to say, I know you're a busy man. You're not actually that bloody busy at the moment, to be honest, but um, I appreciate you coming in. Let's go have a feed and and, um, and catch up a bit more. Awesome. No worries. Um, where I live, you know, the, the, the lot of Tongans living in around the community and the red flags will go up, I have no doubt, and yeah. the cars will be decked out and, and the horns will be hooting, and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Mate, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I was going to say, I know you're a busy man. You're not actually that bloody busy at the moment, to be honest, but um, I appreciate you coming in. Let's go have a feed and, and, um, and catch up a bit more. Awesome. No worries.